So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and make your way to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be continuing our series through the Sermon on the Mount this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. So go ahead and make your way there. We're going to be addressing everybody's favorite subject today, the subject of anger. And I would venture to say that really nobody in this crowd deals with that, do we? No? We're good? So we can just uh, pack it up and go home? Good? Not so much? Okay, let's dig in then. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Listen to this quote. Anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. Samuel Langhorne Clemens, but we know him as Mark Twain. (laughs) Let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 5, right there at verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to your word now, which always accomplishes the purposes for that which it is set forth, and we trust you during this time that you are going to continue to fashion us into the likeness of your son, Jesus. I pray for the person that's on the fence today as to whether or not they believe all of this to be true. May you soften their hearts in such a way that they would be receptive to the gospel. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So three questions we're going to consider during our time here this morning. Number one, what is anger? We're going to set up a working definition for anger. Number two, what does anger do? And finally, number three, what do we do with anger? So what is anger? What's going to be the definition that we establish for it today? It's an expressed or unexpressed ill will towards something or someone. Again, anger is an expressed or unexpressed ill will towards something or someone. So let's do a little bit of self-assessment this morning. Where are you at specifically on the anger scale? Are you at a one being you don't really get angry even when you should? Because rest assured, there are biblical grounds for justifiable anger. Or are you on the complete and total opposite end of the spectrum and are a 10, being your two primary functions are you're either asleep or you're angry? Where are you at on the scale from 1 to 10? Let's jump back to verse 21 right there. 
and read verses 21 and 22 together again. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus is not challenging what the law says. He's challenging his audience's interpretation of what the law says. He helped them see, and he's helping us see through the entire Sermon on the Mount that he is the pivotal point of history. He is the one that gives the law its full meaning. Jesus emphasizes a total commitment to it rather than just an acknowledgement of it. And Jesus is acknowledging the Old Testament law. Back in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, we find this commandment specifically in the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. And the reference here is to a non-legal premeditated murder because there's something that lurks in the shadows prior to the actual deed being committed. It's the anger and the contempt that we feel residing within us that actually drive us towards the action. Okay? And you can even make the argument that a person just wants to watch the world burn, therefore they're going to behave any way they want. That's not necessarily true because there's something deep within them that is wrong, that is fractured, that forces them to act on the feelings that reside within them. You'll remember in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? In reference to a person, do you ever say, well, he's got a good heart. She has a really great heart. The truth of the matter is we do not have good hearts. We just read in Jeremiah chapter 17 that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Can we be completely honest with ourselves right at the forefront this morning? We've had horrible thoughts about people. There's no skirting around that truth, be it a coworker, a family member, a church member, a politician. <laughs> We've had horrible thoughts about people. And Jesus is communicating that these are the very thoughts that lie at the root of an action such, with such significance as murder itself. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22 says, An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Go back up there to verse 22. When Jesus says that term, raka, it's an expression meaning empty and could be translated as something as not like something you hear really today but it's essentially communicating this idea of being empty-headed like you're calling a person a blockhead or something along those lines which I, I get really isn't uh, a common insult today but you get the idea but you keep going down and he says you fool now, culturally, you fool doesn't necessarily strike us as something that offensive either. But what is essentially being communicated here is an expression of malice and contempt towards another. 
A person may maliciously wish injury, harm, or suffering on another person, but if you couple that with contempt, you have a person who is willfully perverted, rebellious, and knowingly wicked to his own harm. A fool is someone who is reckless and careless. Proverbs 14, 16. A fool is someone who finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. And what Jesus is communicating in these two verses right here, he's essentially saying that the only suitable destination for a person who would belittle another in such a way as to call them, you fool, is the perpetually burning trash heap just south of Jerusalem, Gehenna, the fire of hell. In other words, if you're, if you're going to position yourself in such a way to where you have such malicious and contemptuous feelings toward another person that you would designate them, you fool, the only potential solution for where you are to remain is a refuse heap outside of the city. What Jesus is communicating here is very serious. And as it falls on his audience, they know exactly what he's talking about. And they start to pick up on the severity of his words. So what does anger do? Now that we've actually identified what it is and we've come up with a working definition for our purpose this morning, what does anger actually do? Simply put, its aim is your complete and total destruction. It doesn't take much to realize that there's, there's something physiological that happens to us when we get angry. It's interesting that a person's words can literally cause your palms to sweat, your blood pressure to rise, your heartbeat to pick up. With a person's mouth, with something that they can utter, you instantly begin to feel that physiological change and you, you become uncomfortable. We've all been in these situations. Some of them might have occurred just this morning between you and your spouse, right? You felt a physiological difference in the way that you were behaving and responding to things. Need I remind us of James chapter 3 verse 8 that says, the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Isn't it interesting that such a small instrument, such a small member, can cause so much damage? So much so that the words that we speak out of an abundance of the heart, Jesus says, the mouth speaks. So the things that reside deeply within us that come out can have a devastating effect on a person. Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, says, find a person who has embraced anger and you find a person with a wounded ego. There's a very interesting situation that happened just here at the church on Thursday afternoon. I'm just carrying on, got the blinds open in my office, and all of a sudden, Paulding County, Cobb County squad cars flood the scene, and I see this dude in a beat-up car blaze by my office. 
I don't know what is going on, but I do know that I have both of my children in my office, and I'm like, get on the floor! And then they get instantly nervous, and I'm like, we're going to play a game! (laughs) And I'm so glad, I'm so glad that Matt had flown out just this morning, because you know with his type of temperament, he would have been like, come on, Jake! Let's go get him! And I would have been like, nah, man, I'm good. I'm going to stay right here. But I would venture to say that there was probably so much adrenaline pumping through that guy that he could have very well been angry as he tried to speed away from the police that were trying to apprehend him. And so the feelings, the anger that wells up within us, it causes us to do things we wouldn't typically do because we're not thinking straight. Anger not only destroys you, it also destroys the community that you're a part of. Look at verse 23. It says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Did any of us come to uh, worship this morning harboring bitterness towards another? (laughs) You know, it's interesting when you have the opportunity and the privilege to prepare a sermon that you're actually going to voice in front of an audience. You ask the Lord to kind of bring to your thoughts things that you need to get rid of. And so obviously, preaching on such a sensitive issue, I ask the Lord to begin to clear my heart of the things that don't resemble anything of his character. What type of anger is existing within me this week, Lord? Would you reveal that to me? Is there somebody that I need to go and be reconciled with? And the first person he brought to my mind was my seven-year-old son, Jude. And he revealed to me that I'd been responding to him and have responded to him several times with anger. And so what did I have to do? I had a decision to make in order to be able to faithfully stand before you today. I had to demonstrate to him that as his earthly father, I mess up terribly. But there is a heavenly father that loves him and created him that will never mess up the way that I did. And so I had to kneel before my seven-year-old son and say, there are things that I've done out of anger towards you. And God does not want me as your earthly father to behave in that way. And so God told me to ask for your forgiveness. Will you forgive me? And of course, Kids forgive pretty easily, so I was lucky there. He just wrapped his arms around my neck, and I apologized to him, and he went on his way. There's a brilliant New Testament theologian named D.A. Carson. He says this, Forget the worship service and be reconciled to your brother, and only then worship God. Men love to substitute ceremony for integrity, purity, and love but Jesus will have none of it. 
Jesus is telling us, go make it right. As a matter of fact, there wouldn't be anything that could happen that would be more pleasing in this service today than to see someone who knowingly has offended another person and has yet to make it right get up and walk out the doors. You have my permission to do that. If there is something that is uh, so uh, deeply on your chest this morning that you can't sit still where you're at because you have to go and be reconciled to a brother or sister in order to make things right. Proverbs 15, 18 says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Anger destroys our community as the body of Christ. If it spreads within the fellowship of believers, anger greatly diminishes our impact outside of it. If you think about it, it's the perfect covert operation for the spiritual forces of evil that are in the heavenly places, as it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It's like the enemy is saying, keep this group within their own walls and let them be rendered useless because they can't even settle their own differences. God cares a lot about how we treat one another as the family of God. People are watching. And the way that we handle ourselves says a lot about how we represent him on this earth. So verses 23 and 24 focus on a worship setting, but 25 and 26 focus more on a legal setting. Let's pick up in verse 25. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Anger not only destroys our relationships within the community of the body of Christ, it also destroys our individual relationships. The, the idea in this legal setting is that justice will ultimately be done, but we are to aim for personal reconciliation in every single matter. This is essentially Jesus saying, commit yourself to the genuine good of your adversary and seek their well-being. Commit yourself to the good of the person that has offended you and seek their well-being. Seek to settle the differences prior to engaging any civil court whatsoever. And sometimes that's beyond our control. We can be honest about that. But have we done anything or everything in and of our power to settle the difference prior to it escalating to that point? Listen to what Sinclair Ferguson says. Most human relationships that are destroyed could have been preserved if there had been communication and action at the right time. Jesus says that the right time is as soon as we are conscious that we are at enmity with our brother. If the Holy Spirit resides inside of you, he's going to let you know pretty quick when you've offended someone. 
And so if we are at enmity with a brother or sister or even an individual outside of the family of faith, the Holy Spirit in love wakes us up to that. And his ambition for our lives is to be reconciled to every person that has wronged us and every person that we have wronged. So what do we do with anger? What do we do with it? First and foremost, we have to admit it. We simply have to admit it when we're angry. Don't respond passive-aggressively or in a fit of rage. Just simply admit it. We tend not to admit things because admitting a fault makes us instantly vulnerable. And we don't like to feel that way. We also can't seem to let go of the notion that our anger is justifiable even though it's completely self-centered. I deserve to feel this way. This person has wronged me this way. The way that I feel, that's completely justifiable. You hear all the eyes in that statement? I deserve, I feel, I, I, I. It's all about me. As the D.A. Carson quote mentioned, Jesus will have none of that. Can I also make this statement before we move forward? (laughs) Never admit your anger on social media. (laughs) I would venture to say that probably 100% of the statuses that you find on the various social media platforms are birthed from a place of contention or anger anyway. So you're just adding fuel to the fire once you get to that point. And it's not really accomplishing anything. You're simply just stating how angry you are about a given subject or toward a particular person that you're not even naming. And so it's a waste of your time. And it contributes to a level of toxicity that is just completely prevalent in our culture right now. We have been given platforms to say things on. And some of us take way too much advantage of that. And everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about because you've probably done it before. I know that I've done it before. I can admit that. But again... Are we so in tune with being transformed into the character and to the likeness of Christ that we allow his Holy Spirit residing within us to catch it and to say to ourselves, shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have made that call. I need to take that down. So never admit your social, uh, never admit your anger on social media. So after a, after we admit it, we want to analyze it. Proverbs 14, 29 says, Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. So put in the work to discover what is causing you to react the way that you are. Is it a sense of pride? Is it a sense of entitlement? Put in the work towards actually figuring out why it is that you're so upset about something. 
And can I offer this disclaimer as well? There are some relationships that will simply remain toxic even after you've done everything biblically required to be reconciled to the person. You could have done everything in your power that was possible in order to be reconciled towards a particular relationship and that connection still remains cut off due to the other person. Biblically, you can walk away from that situation for a time. To whether they want to be reconciled or the relationship just diminishes altogether. But at the same time, you have done everything in and of your power to be reconciled to that person. God honors that. And so that's just a disclaimer. You can take it or leave it completely for free. You remember Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 26? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Ken Sandy has a great book out called The Peacemaker. Listen to this quote. By your actions, you will either show that you have a big God or that you have a big self and big problems. To put it another way, If you do not focus on God, you will inevitably focus on yourself and your will or on other people and the threat of their wills. So once we've admitted it, once we've analyzed it, we have to absorb it. And this is something that's completely countercultural. Absorbing another person's anger is accomplished only by the transformative work of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you are in Christ, your years on the earth are about being conformed into his very image, not your own. As a follower of Jesus, you are not about bettering yourself for some self-centered purpose. You are about making much of him and being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, as Paul says, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Because here's the reality of the situation. This is exactly what Christ did on the cross, on our behalf. Jesus absorbed our anger. He didn't just absorb our anger that he didn't deserve. He absorbed every bit of the Father's anger that we do deserve. You'll hear hear me reference this particular passage multiple times from this platform. It's one of my favorite passages in all of the New Testament. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, For our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the extent of the atoning work of Christ upon the cross. He absorbed all of the wrath of God on our behalf. He 
God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, in Christ, we might become God's very righteousness. So the anger that you feel, the stuff that you watch, the things that leave your mouth, are we understanding that Christ became those things when he absorbed every ounce of God's wrath upon the cross. He became it. Biblical anger management is about, through the power of the Holy Spirit, absorbing the anger and wounds of others and returning a blessing on them. Every bit of anger, every bit of the wounds that people have acquired throughout their life, and returning blessing. This is the countercultural way of living that Jesus wants those who follow him to embrace. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So the amazing grace and unfailing love that God offers you is only obtained through his son, the Lord Jesus. Jesus' sinless life, his substitutionary death on the cross for our sins, his burial, his bodily resurrection from the dead, signifying the defeat of both sin and death, and ultimately his return, those are the things that make you holy and righteous before the God of the universe. If you subscribe to Christianity in order to pick yourself up by your own bootstraps, you're missing the point altogether. Christ isn't pleased by our offerings. He's pleased by what his son offered on our behalf. And we take that instead of anything that we deem ours or what we bring to the table because we simply bring nothing to it when he has already provided everything for it. And so the anger and the frustration that we deal with on a continual basis, how are we admitting it? How are we analyzing it? And how are we absorbing the anger and the wounds of others in order to return a blessing? How are we doing those things? In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. This abundant life that he is speaking of, which is his very self, is offered to every single person in this room today. He is the one that truly turns graves into gardens. Would you stand with me and let's pray together.